0: Welcome, Welcome
1: to, to the, the Better, Better Call Daddy. Daddy show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. More stories you are not going to believe
0: and advice that you didn't know that you needed.
1: Five stars. five and a half stars. We're creating a legacy one call at a time. Here comes my
0: daddy. Your problem is, is that you like me.
1: Papa. My dad is my hero.
0: Always be there to take your call, and you'll never be in too much trouble if your dad is around.
1: Oh, boy.
0: I think I'm a pretty cool dude.
1: Better call daddy. The safe space for controversy. This is your host, Rena Friedman Watts. No, this is your host, Celia Watts. More inspirational stories, more daddy drama, and more laughs.
0: Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public.
1: <laughs> Today, we are carving our own path and chasing the insights. Today's guest is bringing high energy, sincerity, and compassion. He believes everyone is able to chase their own dreams and become successful. Vince Warnock, welcome. I heard you say something that I absolutely thought was amazing. You said, Entrepreneurs are not the only people in the world. Like it was during your episode with your wife, and you said, Oh yeah, because you know, sometimes we think entrepreneurs are like the only thing that exists.
2: Yeah, we surround ourselves by them. <laughs> like, it's crazy. Yeah. We have this warp view of the world that everybody's an entrepreneur. And then we're like, wait, you like we go to it, we go to an event or something, you meet somebody, you're like, You mean you're not starting a business? That I'm so confused. <laughs> yeah. Oh.
1: Yeah, I really, I love that because I really think it's true. It's kind of like the same thing with podcasters. Like we start hanging out with all of the same people. Like,
2: yep,
0: yep. <laughs> you know, I looked
1: through who Kofi had had on and I was like, oh, no, that person, no, that person. And I looked who you've had on. It's like, no, that person, no, that person. So I think the entrepreneur circle gets smaller, the podcasting circle gets smaller. And I really loved that you talked about fostering relationships with an entrepreneur. And you talked about that with your wife who isn't an entrepreneur. I think that that is a really interesting direction. I would like to talk about that more.
2: Yeah, definitely. It it was important for that episode actually, because originally when I looked at that, I did what every probably entrepreneur would do. I'd said, okay, well, if I'm going to do an episode with my wife, it'll be how she can support me as an entrepreneur because my show is for entrepreneurs. And then I went, hang on. No, I'm talking to entrepreneurs. No, this is about what we can do for our significant others, for our families to bring them on the journey. Like Because it's not all this weird mentality of going, OK, I'm an entrepreneur. That means everyone should support me. My wife should understand. My kids should know that I'm going to work ridiculous hours and all these kind of things. Um, actually, no, the responsibility is on us as an entrepreneur to bring them on the journey with you to actually include them, to vision with them, to let me and my wife go on the walks, which you would have heard in the episode. We go on walks and dream about what life's going to be like (laughs) post-pandemic, what my life's going to be like in the future, where we get to travel around the world to all of these amazing clients and things like that. But to do that, you've got to bring them on the journey. So. It was really important to me to structure the show around actually what can we do to support you, which I knew going into that was going to be challenging as well, because not only is Leanne a massive introvert, so she's like, don't ask me hard questions like this, but also I know it could be slightly confronting because, you know, as any human being, I've made many mistakes over my life and... And many mistakes in marriage as well, where I've prioritized work or I've prioritized building something and then realized, what have I done? You moron. That's not as important to me as, as Leanna's or the kids are. So yeah.
1: I absolutely loved that conversation. And I liked how she said that she felt like it worked because you do include her and you hmm. do tell her probably maybe even sometimes too much, but like oh, yeah, everything yeah. that goes on with the guests that you're talking to and everything that goes on with the clients, <laughs> and everything that's happening in business. And as long as you're not playing a podcast at the same time, then that does include her in your journey.
2: Yeah, definitely, definitely. It is a big deal about that as well. And my son gets involved. Our daughter's out in the big wide world now. You know, she's about to turn 25. She's got her own life and her own business, all this kind of thing. But our son's still at home. He's 19 now, just turned 19. Yeah, we kind of realized that, you know, he's involved in this as well. To the point where he will come out because he's on break from university. So he'll come out and he's like, hey, dad, yeah, it's one o'clock. You're still working. Come on, man. <laughs> what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, yeah, because he knows. I've talked to him openly about the fact that, you know, with ADHD, I can get hyper-focused. So I've got to actually, you know, use tools and techniques to actually pull myself out of that. And so he is part of that journey as well. But he also knows that I have a tendency, because I love what I do, I have a tendency to overwork. So he's like, okay, I'm going to call you on that, Dad. And so, yeah, so it's quite interesting. And we have conversations around creating and these. We had this awesome conversation the other day, Rena. He was talking about, we, I said something about an app that he's building and I just came up with ideas. You know, I was like, okay, what about this and this and this and this and this? And he's like, how do you do that? Like, How do you come up with all these ideas? And I said, well, to be honest, it's intentional. Like it's something that I train myself to do in years. Okay, how do you do that? So I realized this is a really good learning opportunity for both of us. So I said, okay, let's let's take a scenario. And we've got these two little ornamental birds, I want to call them. It's not as boring as it sounds, but they sit on our bookcase in the living room and Leanne got them and they, they look amazing. And I said to Java Slop, let's pretend in the room there's me and a normie, you know, a normal person that's not an entrepreneur, that's not in our sphere at all. I said, if you said to the two of us, well, I want you to, to manufacture those birds and put them out there and sell them and make a profitable business from it i said there'll be two very different approaches so the normie will look at that because they haven't trained their brain to think otherwise they will look at that and go okay so i need to manufacture those two birds and sell them for a profit okay well the first problem is someone's already doing that because those birds exist they're on the bookcase so oh no i'm not going to be differentiated in market and um, that's going to be a bit of a challenge oh hang on the other thing too is how do i keep manufacturing costs low because when i start out I'll obviously only have a few orders. I can't buy them bulk like that company probably can. So there's no way I can compete on price. And actually those ones there are are white and gray but actually teal's more of an in color at the moment. So people won't want the color of those ones that are there now. And I said, so you'll go down this path and what people see is consistent obstacles because their brain's trying to protect them and go, okay, well, you know, let's make sure you're not making a rash or, or a silly decision. I said, I've had to train my brain to look at this differently. So when I look at it, I go, okay, there's two birds up there, right? I need to manufacture those and sell them at a profit. Well, the first problem is there's going to be somebody else obviously already manufacturing these. Great. So how do I differentiate it? How do I think differently? Like, what's going to make this stand out in market? And manufacturing costs, they're going to be high, okay, so how can I do this different? So maybe instead of a physical thing, maybe it's actually a digital, you know what, maybe it's a series of digital art, wait, how can we do art differently? Well, okay, maybe we can do NFTs. Maybe we can series of famous scientists or something who are shaped like birds for some weird reason because you know everything works in the NFT space. And then, so you go down this thing and then I'm going, well, white and gray, that's not really in right now, but white and teal is. We can do a whole teal series of these NFTs. And maybe we can do a white series as well. Maybe they represent different attributes. So I've trained myself to look at all of these different so-called obstacles as opportunities. And as ways to think different and and getting excited about that. So every time you see an obstacle or a barrier or something come up, it's like, yes, I get to get really creative on this. This is going to be a pile of fun. So that's kind of, we had that conversation. He just looked at me and said, yeah, you're weird. (laughs) Yeah, I was
1: wondering what his reaction to all of that was.
2: He just went, that was really tiring, (laughs) Dave." But he is, he's an incredibly creative guy as well. But I just thought it was hilarious.
1: That is funny. Have you included your kids in any projects or any work?
2: Uh, Sort of. So one of the things that was important to me in one of my previous startups, so when I created Common Ledger, created that with a co-founder of mine, just genius developer guy. When we started that, we knew that that was going to be hard slog because it was a high growth tech startup, which means we knew that for the first six months of that business, we wouldn't have any income at all so we were like well that's going to be challenging which means you need your family on the journey with you because I remember the conversation with Leanne because I'd already talked to her about the opportunity talked to her about the business and I'm like hey we, we went out for a kebab Rena we've banned ourselves from buying kebabs now because every time we go out for a kebab we make a major life decision it's crazy so we went out for a kebab and I'm sitting there and I said look you know this opportunity I've been talking about she goes yeah I said It feels like now is the right time to do this full time. It is a massive opportunity, but here's what it's gonna mean. It is going to mean six months of no income because because it's a high growth tech startup, it's not gonna be profitable straight away, which means we need six months to build towards a seed round of investment. And we're going to take a million dollars worth of seed round. And then from there, we'll be able to build the business and pay ourselves. And she was like, yep, okay, interesting. So you're leaving your high-paying job for no income for six months. And I went, yep. And she goes, okay, cool. Uh, and then turned around to me and said, oh, by the way, I'm you know at the point in my life where, because she had always talked about changing career. She was a early childcare teacher. And she decided that she had this passion to help people with addictions. We had a lot of people in our life that were at rock bottom dealing with these kind of things. And she had a passion to help as many people as possible. So she's like, well... I'm later in life, you know, because she was approaching, let's see, at the time, she was approaching, oh, just over 40. And she's going, but to go back to school was scary. And to learn a new thing is actually quite scary. She goes, but it now feels like the right time to do this. And I'm like, okay, so that means you're leaving your high-paying job at the same time I'm leaving mine, and you will have no income for probably five years. And she's like, yeah, and I went, "Mm, interesting. And she goes, but when have we never landed on our feet? And that was the point I realized by bringing them on the journey with me. And we did this with the kids as well. They knew exactly what we're up to. In fact, my son thought it was hilarious because he was the highest earner in the house um, at age. I think he was 10 at the time or something. (laughs) Because he's like, "Ah, if you want a loan, you come and see me. I talk it to you. He thought he was a a mobster. So by bringing them on the journey, though, I knew that they had my back. And I knew that no matter how hard it got, we were in this together. Um, So that was a really important part of the journey for me. And now with where the business at now, my daughter has absolutely no time for that. She's just... She's building her own digital marketing agency for fashion design labels. So she's like, Dad, if anything, you should work for me. I'm going, Hey! (laughs) And now, but my son, he's working on an app for my podcast, actually. So I wanted a way to be able to communicate with people easier and to give them opportunities for masterclass and things. So he's like, Well, well, actually, how it worked, Rena, was I decided I'm going to build an app. So I learned a new couple of new programming languages. I'm like, Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna build this app myself. And I built a rudimentary one, and my son looked at it and went, Amateur. (laughs) even though I was really proud of it he said I'm going to build you a better one so now he's on board that project and looking at how we can kind of scale that out there and how to use it to communicate with people
1: you have a developer background though
2: yeah yeah I I trained as an electronics computer and software engineer Uh, it's been a long time though since I did pure development so there's a point you get to where it doesn't it's not quite like riding a bike (laughs) everything's all different now and you're like that's actually quite scary
1: but it does sound like you have influenced both of your children and what they're doing now, which is so interesting.
2: <laughs> Do not tell my daughter that. <laughs> so she said to me, because I said to her, oh, so you're starting a digital marketing agency. Interesting. So you're following in dad's footsteps. <laughs> the, the response was like, no, no, dad. In fact, how's this for an insult? She turned around and said, dad, look, I'm focused purely on fashion. and I And I'm focused on fashion, which is something you know nothing about. And I'm like, Wait a minute. <laughs> I thought I was quite fashionable. She goes, Oh, okay. Never mind. <laughs> so, yeah. No, according to her, she's carving her own path. But one, one thing that has been important, Brena, is actually in bringing up the kids, there were, there were two things that I really wanted to make sure that they embodied and that they learned along that journey, uh, along with many other things, obviously, from our lives. But one of them was I wanted them to understand that they should never be reliant on other people's wealth. They should never be reliant on an income, essentially, from you know a, a day-to-day job. I mean, nothing wrong with getting a corporate job, getting a day-to-day job. That's absolutely fine. But always have your finger in a pie somewhere else. Always have a way that you're creating your own wealth. And you never know how these things kind of turn out. But one of the things I did notice, my daughter started her first business when she was 10. Um, she started a little dance academy uh, teaching teaching little boys how to do hip hop and things and and did really well from that. And then my son started his first business when he was seven. He decided that he was going to create, like he was an amazing storyteller. So he was going to create a comic book series about a bunch of kids who got trapped in the multiverse. So it's long before all the multiverse stuff that you all know about now. So this was this kind of omniverse concept back in the day. And he said, I want to do this journey where they're in this loop of all these different universes trying to get back to ours. And each one has its own attributes. And there's like an upside down world and underwater world and all these kind of things. And he said, right, the problem is, he said, I'm not a great artist at all. And it's not something I want to be good at. So he wanted to partner with a friend of hers, a friend of his who is a, a good artist. So he came, he went to school and he came back and I said, 'Oh, how'd it go. And he goes, well, that lasted about 10 minutes. So it turned out they had creative differences immediately. So he decided, I'm going to start my own business when I'm seven. It's going to be a comic book. I'm going to sell them for, like, he basically drew it all up and then photocopied it and put it together as a comic book. He was selling them for $2 a piece. So super cheap, nice profit margins though. And he was going to do that until he was 10. And I said, why 10? And he said, because between seven and 10, and this is how his brain works, between seven and 10, having bad artwork in these comic books is just kind of cute because, you know, you're a seven-year-old or under 10-year-old kid but the storytelling is going to be amazing, Dad. Like people are going to be gripped by the story, but the artwork is going to be terrible. At age 10, if if you still have bad artwork, it's just really awkward. You're like that kid. (laughs) So so true to word, that was his first business till he was 10. And then he started doing modern Minecraft servers. So obviously that stuck and both of them have become entrepreneurial. But a lot of that is me showing them by experience, showing them that I'm going to take a risk and try a new business, showing them what happens when it doesn't work, showing them what happens when it does, and just not you know sitting down teaching them as such, but showing by example so they get to see. Uh, and then the second thing that was really important to me was making sure that they understood that people aren't a result of their actions, that people have bad days, people have things that they're going through, people always have things that that that's influencing them to a degree. So actually I wanted them to always understand what's behind the behavior. And That was important to me as part of my journey where, you know, I grew up in a really abusive household. I grew up surrounded by abuse. And for me, school was my happy place. It was my escapism because, you know, it was where I could be free and, and not constantly in fear. And then when I got to age 11, I found at school a bully. And I'm like, oh, great. So now I've got a bully at home and a bully at school. I've got no safe space. And this bully tormented me for about two years. Then at age 12, when we were about to turn 13, we were going off to what you guys would call high school. We call college over here. So going off to college, he went off to a different one to me. And I'm like, I'm free. Yay. (laughs) This is awesome. I'm finally free from him. But I decided too, I was sick of being a victim. And I was sick of just constantly living in fear, which I, I was. So I decided I needed to take some form of control. So I started learning martial arts and boxing and threw myself in this. I train every single day um, from age 13 to age 17 and a little bit beyond. But at age 17, the weirdest thing happened. He got transferred to our school. Now, I'm a big fan of 80s movies. And I've seen all the cheesy comedies, all the John Hughes movies, all these kind of things. And I thought, I know how this plays out. This is going to be glorious because this is is Revenge of the Nerds. This is basically the underdogs coming out on top finally. And I'm like, now the guy who was pushed around and beaten and had stuff thrown on him all the time for two years is suddenly now the stronger one of the two. So I'm like, oh, this is going to be glorious. So he walked past me one day. I saw him there and I'm like, ha, right. So I yelled his name and a few expletives, as you do. He turned around, strutted back to me, took a swing. And I'm like, nope. Took another swing. I moved out the way. Nope. I let him do that a few times and then bam, I laid him out. Now I'm not a violent person at all. I actually abhor violence. I grew up in violence, but this was supposed to be my, my kind of, you know, big arc here where I'm now the hero and I smacked him and he went out like a light and he's laying down on the ground. And I thought this is the moment I've been building up to the moment. I'm going to feel great. And I felt terrible. And I couldn't understand why. I'm like, what's, what's going on here, you know? And then I found, found myself in the principal's office, as you do when you fight, funny enough. So I'm in the principal's office and he pulled me aside and he said, do you know why he got transferred to the school? And I said, well, I don't know. And I was trying to be all staunch because I'm, I'm 17, you know? I'm like, I don't know, I don't care. And he goes, well, you should care. He goes, because this guy, and he explained his backstory. And he said, he grew up in a house where this father was so abusive that every day since he was a basically a toddler, he would beat him his sister and his mother and the beatings got so severe that you know recently he beat the mother so badly in front of the two kids that she actually passed away so he murdered the mum in front of the two children and then obviously he went to jail which is good and the two kids got put in with an auntie and uncle and now i'm feeling really bad I'm feeling really stink. And I said, I turned around to the principal and said, Well, I didn't know that. And he goes, No, no. And I wouldn't have expected you to know. But of all the people that could possibly have understood what he's going through, of all the people that possibly could have been there for him, I would have thought that would be you. And that taught me two things. It taught me that I wasn't the hero in the story. I was the villain. And by the way, that every 80s movie lies to you. They are not good movies. (laughs) That is not the moral. Like the underdog coming out on top, that's not necessarily a good thing. Trust me on that. But it also taught me that I had no idea what this guy was going through. And, And I may not have been able to change his behavior and his violence and things like that, but I could have, and I didn't. And it taught me a very valuable lesson. I wanted my kids to understand that as well. I wanted them to know that that people have bad days, that people make dumb decisions. That's not reflective of them. That doesn't make them a bad person. It just means they did something dumb. And by the way, as human beings, all of us can make mistakes as well. All of us can do bad decisions. I mean, we should be judged on our actions, but not judged as a person based on that. We're not defined by that. And that was something that you never know if your kids really do take on board until you get called to the principal's office and by the way, my daughter was a goody two shoes, right? I'm serious. We were we were so annoyed with her because every time we went to like you know parent teacher interviews, they were like, "Oh, she's such a perfect little angel, and she's oh, she's such such a high achiever, and she's the top of the class." And I'm like, "Oh, for goodness sake!" So I said to my daughter, "Look, I'm sick of going to these things." So, oh, she's so wonderful, so wonderful. I said, "Tell you what, when we go there, and they go." She was a brat or she failed at something or she made a mistake. I said, we're going to go out and celebrate. We're going to go out and we're going to just yeah, really celebrate this because I want to make sure she can take some risks and things. And we're kind of half joking with her, obviously. And we got called to the principal's office and I'm like, ooh, what's she done? Oh, principal's office. This is pretty serious. But unfortunately, it was the opposite of that. We sat down and this is one of those moments where as a parent, it is one of the proudest moments ever. And I'm sitting there and the principal was telling us about something she witnessed outside of her office. And she goes, I was about to step in, but I actually saw your daughter, Oriana, saw her doing this. So I stepped back and watched. And what had happened was my daughter had a group of friends, you know, young girls. She was about 10 at the time. I'm pretty sure that was about the age. Anyway, this group of friends, they were very interesting. Some of them were very challenging and things. And there was this girl, Georgia, who was a little bit overweight. And then there was this girl, Anna, who was kind of like the, the kind of staunch one of the group. And Anna had decided they were going to go and play this game. And Georgia, you can't play because you're too overweight. You won't be able to keep up with us. So therefore, you know, you're out of the group kind of thing. And then this other girl, Alex, was like, yeah, yeah. And kind of backed that. In there. And everyone was kind of doing it. And Ariana was just so horrified. She stepped in. But what she did was amazing. She stood in front of Georgia. She pulled Georgia behind her to protect her and stand in, in like an intermediary in front of it. And she said, Anna, enough. You're only saying that because you think if we spend time with her, we won't want to spend time with you. You need to understand that you are as important to us as she is. And that we love spending time with you as well. And then she turned to the other one, Alex, you're only reacting like this because you feel like if you say anything contrary, you're going to be judged and you're going to be excluded. Guess what? We love you as you are. You don't have to comply with everything everyone says. You're allowed to disagree with us. And then she spoke to every motive that each of those girls had behind why they were being so mean. And then she turned around, she goes, Georgia is so important to me, just as she's important to you guys. So I'm going to go and spend time with her. When you guys have thought about what you just did and how horrible she must feel right now, then we can all play again. And suddenly these girls, there's tears, there's hugs, they're all making up and all this kind of thing. And the principal is telling, and she said, I was in my office, tears streaming down my face. And as she's telling us, tears are streaming down her face. And I'm trying to hold it together, but I am ready to break. It was such a proud dad moment. But it was that moment you realize you've taught them to understand that people like people aren't defined by their actions. They should be defined by who they are. And most people. Most people are genuinely good people on the inside.
1: Yeah, that is a beautiful story. Oh my oh,
2: gosh. And so you got me in my soapbox there. <laughs> that was a trip down memory lane. <laughs>
1: yeah. That's amazing.
2: I talk about this a lot with neuromarketing. Understanding like bio behavior. for example, like we all know, hopefully all know that the brain's kind of made up into three core areas when it comes to decision making. So there's the reptilian brain, which is the part that de- defends you, that looks out for you. Um, so if there's anything dodgy in your marketing that's the part of your brain that goes something's not right here run away from this so it doesn't help you make a decision but it certainly helps you to opt out of a decision so that's easy to deal with we do that through Mm -hmm. testimonials and you know social proof and all those kind of things as well but the other two parts of the brain are where people get confused because there's the neocortex which is the logical Mm -hmm. part of the brain so this is the part of the brain that really helps you to like rationally think through things and decisions And then there's the limbic system, which is the emotional part of your brain. And what people often, the mistake entrepreneurs and marketers often make is they focus on the neocortex. So they go, for example, I'm going to put a product out there or an offering or a service. So they list out all of the benefits and the features, which are all the logical reasons that you would buy this. And they go, but why is nobody buying it? And what they've missed here is that the neocortex is generally, like most of the time, not where we make a decision. In fact, it's where we justify the decision that we've already made in the limbic system. And I'll give you a good example. I'm a huge fan of whiskey. So anyone who knows me knows I love my whiskey, but that's part of who, how, who I identify as. I, I like to be known as the guy that loves whiskey, you know, because I, I know a lot about it and I want people to know that because it makes me feel good. I know that sounds really lame. But one of the things I saw online was a Kickstarter for these hip flasks. And these are very special hip flasks. They're for whiskey lovers, right? They are made of glass, not metal, so they don't taint the, uh, the taste of the whiskey at all. But it also means it's a lot easier to clean them. So you can change it up and try different whiskies in there without it influencing the taste of the previous one. They have protective like membrane coatings so that they don't break if you drop them. And they have a like a slot so you can actually see. Which, by the way, this is way better than any any hip flask you see out there. You can actually see the level of where the whiskey's actually, You know how much is left in the hip flask. Plus they have a special cork inlay, which helps with the aroma and the smell and all these kind of things. So all of this, right? And I'm like, right, I'm backing this Kickstarter. I can tell you now, none of those things I just listed were why I backed the Kickstarter at all, right? It wasn't to do with, in fact, by the way, I hardly ever use hip flask. I drink at home. I've got my whiskeys here. Why would I put it in a hip flask? But I bought them because of what they said about me, because of the emotional connection I had to them because the moment i started telling people like i just explained there about how how amazing these are for whiskey lovers people go, well, he must know a thing or two about whiskey. So therefore, by buying these, by supporting these, by putting this out there and telling other people about this, it says something about how I want to be identified. So that's where we make the decisions. We often make the decisions in the limbic system, in the emotional part of us, the part of us that connects with a brand or connects with another human being, the part of us that looks at it and says, do I want to be aligned with this? What does that say about me? So... And then we justify that decision, of course, by going, and what are all the features and benefits? Yay. Oh, this is a good purchase. Yeah. How did you get into whiskey? I Actually, that's a really good point. I can't even remember how I got into whiskey. I never used to drink it when I was younger. That's probably a good thing because you know, I used to drink a lot when I was younger. And I think, oh, actually, I can tell you, it was a business trip to... Uh, where was I going? Hong Kong? No, Singapore. Business trip to Singapore one time where I was over there and I was at this bar with another colleague and they started talking about different types of whiskies, And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll give this a shot. I said to them, I, I think I said, I'm not really a big whiskey fan. They said, that's because you've only probably drunk the cheap crap. I went, mm, that's probably quite valid. Uh, so so they bought me, it was a 15 year old Macallan, which is a very like quite an expensive whiskey. And I tasted this and was like, what am I drinking? This is amazing. And that started my journey down there. And it was one of those things where I wanted to know more about it. Like, you know, he just bought me something that's worth a lot of money because of the age, but also the region and all these kind of things. I'm like, there's so much information here. This is a larger world and I need to know more about this. So, so that started a a journey of investigation that then led to a passion, and now led to me having—I think I've got about twenty-three bottles of whiskey in here, and some in the other room as well. But all different kind of ones that I love drinking.
1: I wonder too if it was because it was like a good time in your life. Quite
2: probably, actually. Yeah, uh, that was certainly a really good trip. That one—that was when that's where
1: your wife went on the shopping trip of her dreams. That's too. the one
2: you. Yeah, oh yeah, I forgot you listened to that. It was like, yeah, it's <laughs> yes. yeah. We just sold Common Ledger, so one of the the perks of you know having an eight figure exit from a business and being the majority shareholder is I get to say hey Leanne I know you've sacrificed so much for me doing this and building this business but guess what now you get to celebrate it so we flew over to Singapore we spent ages over there and I just said to her if we can if we can travel back with everything you've bought in our luggage we have failed you should be shipping this stuff back you should be shopping till you drop which unfortunately is exactly what happened the day before we we were about to leave she was crossing over this a metal grate thing while it was raining and it was just ultra slippery and she slipped and broke her elbow but to her that was awesome it was a badge of honor she was like I shopped till I dropped how cool am I <laughs> yeah.
1: oh my god that is a crazy end to fun time <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. The, the awkward thing is, too, the last day, because so that was the second to last day, the last day was going to be the day I do all the shopping. So, you yeah, know, we'd spend all this time shopping for her, and I'm like, yeah, this is going to be cool. But I thought, you know, I'll go shopping in Singapore as well. I couldn't do clothes shopping because every time I walk into a store, they just go, no, 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 you're too big. I mean, oh, great. Because all their clothes are really small. But there was a whole pile of stuff I wanted to buy. But of course, now I had to help Leanne around with a broken arm or broken elbow with a sling. I'm trying to make sure no one bumps into her and all this. It was like, oh, man. So yeah, it was a good, good trip, though. I thoroughly enjoyed it.
1: I heard you say, too, that you both came from abusive homes. Yes. And both overcame that. Can you talk about that? Do you think that brought you together in some way?
2: I genuinely, and this is going to sound very, I don't know, woo-woo, whatever it is, but I genuinely think we were destined to be together. I'll tell you a little bit of a story about that because when I first met Leanne, or actually, hang on, when I first saw Leanne, I thought, when I first saw Leanne, I was studying electronics computer and software engineering doing my work placement. She was a, a mail clerk at a law firm. So she would go around to deliver the mail to everyone. So I went to go into this law firm to calibrate all their room controllers and do a bit of electronic-y kind of rubbish there. I walk in there and she walks past me. And the first time I saw her, she had these three spikes of, on her hair. Like her this, this hair was like this very punk look. The three spikes that were different colors. The rest of her hair was shaved except for like this plume that came out the middle. And I was like, who is this woman? Oh my goodness. Like It felt like a brick in my face. I was in love the moment I saw her. I was like, she is spectacular. So that was like August one year. And then the following January, one of the guys in our course, in the electronics engineering course, he said, hey, I bumped into these two girls I used to go to school with, and they want to go to the movies. Do you guys want to come? And I'm standing with my mate looking around the room going, there's not a single woman in this course, which is depressing. Uh, yeah, we want to go. (laughs) So we went to go and see uh, Point Break, the movie Point Break, which is just a phenomenal film. So we went there and I got to the movie theater and I look and I look and I saw Leanne sitting there and I'm like, oh, that's the girl. Oh my goodness. That's the girl. She's the coolest thing in the world. Now I realize she's sitting with her friend. And then I look up and I see our friend and I'm like, wait, there's no other woman with them. These are the women that we're going to the movies with. And I'm like, wow. So, So that was it. We were kind of destined to be together, but I was a wreck at the time. I was an alcoholic. I was like severely depressed and dealing with a lot of stuff, you know, from the abuse in my childhood and things, a lot of the, the trauma that I'd had to go through. I attempted suicide a couple of times as well, which fortunately I sucked at doing, uh, which is really good. <laughs> so, but it was it was a really really dark time, and Liam was the bright light that was there for me in that time, and and we. We kind of got together then in the sense of, you know, we're kind of friends. We went to the movies a few times. That friend that introduced us decided that because I was such a wreck, I wasn't a good fit for her. So he told me that she didn't want to know about me and told her that I didn't want to know about him. And so we lost contact for about maybe just under a year or something. And then we heard that she had left home and gone and you know, gone into an apartment. So we're like, oh, we were having a party. And I was going out with this other girl at the time. This is really awkward. Going out with this other girl at the time. And I was there with my flatmate Marty. And I said, oh right, who are we going to invite to? And he goes, yeah, who are we going to invite? And I said, oh, we should invite Leanne. And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I went, oh, and my girlfriend, uh, awkward. <laughs> so so I'm sitting at this party. I look at my girlfriend and go, like, she was wonderful. She's a really nice woman. Look at her and go, oh, she's so cool. And then I look at Leanne and go, and I realized, what am I doing? I'm just fooling myself. I'm I'm never going to feel the way I feel about Leanne for any other person. Like She ruined every relationship I had after I met her. So I broke up with that girl after the party. thought I was being very gentlemanly. And I said to her, look, I just need to let you know I'm not in love with you. I'm just in love with the concept of being in love. That's about all I got out before she punched me in the face. And I thought, you know what? Yeah, I had that coming. And I didn't think I had a shot with Leanne, but we became really good friends. And she got me through really, really tough times. And just never judged me, was always there for me. And at the same time, she was going through her own battles and going through the scars of what she had grown up in. Like, I, the trauma I went through as a child is nothing compared to what she's had to endure. So, the both of us should have been a statistic. We should have been a number. But for some reason, you know, we got together and we were like this light for each other that would never judge and would always be there. And, she asked me out. We were going, we were traveling up north. I went through a period where we went to this place at Christmas Day. We decided we we're going to go up and see a friend of our, or my flatmate actually, up at his batch in a place called Tyra So we're going up there and we we went up there with Leanne and took her up there and, and her flatmate. And the four of us are at this batch. And then when we got there, I realized there's no alcohol and there's nowhere to get alcohol. And I'm going through cold turkey, which is not healthy. So Leanne got me through that. and was awesome. Clean myself up and decided I'm going to make a change and I got back home and and Leanne had gone off to this other place and she came back and said oh, I need to I've got the day off work I'm going to go shopping And I was like Ellie I've got the day off work as well and she goes oh my goodness I said, I'll come with you that would be awesome then quickly ran my work and went <laughs> I'm feeling sick today sorry I'm not going to be in <laughs> so um, I feel bad about that but anyway So we came into town and before we had even embarked on anything, she sat me down and said, by the way, I'd love it if you would go out with me, you know, and be my partner. And I went, yes. And I was so happy. But a week after that, we were sitting there and I said to her, I was so sick of going out with people for the sake of it. She goes, I know what you mean. I said, yeah. And she said to me, yeah, you just want to go out with that person that you want to spend the rest of your life with. I said, exactly. And then we both realized what we had just said and we're like, oh, so that happened. That was January the 14th. And May the 14th, I proposed to her. And she said yes before I even got the words out, which was so annoying, by the way, because it was supposed to be so romantic. <laughs> so I got to repeat it and go, wait. <laughs> and then she said yes. And then we got married about a year and a bit after that as well. So we were kind of destined to be together and be there for each other. And we've had our battles. Like, seriously, both of us have a lot of trauma from our past. And we've had to battle through a lot of the limitations that puts on our life and a lot of our limited thinking. But through all of it, no matter what battle we faced, we've always grown closer together rather than further apart, which has been just a mark on our marriage. And now we're coming up to our 27th wedding anniversary. So it's been awesome. But the reason I see the universe brought us together, Anna, how crazy is this? So we got engaged. While we we're engaged, one of Leanne's friends had a 21st birthday party. So we flew down to Christchurch and this place in Christchurch its a really boring place. We went to this party and they came from a really wealthy family. Like both me and Leanne came from poverty. This, this friend of hers, though, was really wealthy and their family had like real to real video machines, all this kind of stuff, you know, stuff that was really expensive back in the day. And they said, oh, right, we're going to play this video of, you know, our, our wee young thing you know, when she was she was 11 playing the flute. And her and Leanne both played the flute when they were growing up. And there was this video of Leanne and her at age 11 playing the flute. And I saw this on the screen and I'm like, wait a minute, I know you. And Leanne's like, yeah, duh. And I went, no, I know you. I know that girl. What is going on? I'm so confused. And then I realized when we were young, there was a place that a lot of young people gathered at. It was called Skateaway. It was a skating rink, you know, where you go around on your roller skates and things. And you drank your slushy and you got your brain freeze and all this kind of stuff. And you ate too many hot dogs and was threw up. But it was glorious and we loved it. And I went there and I remember seeing this girl and that was Leanne. And I was just smitten. I was like, Who is she? She's so cute. And I followed her around and she would kind of be. A little bit flirtatious, not too flirtatious, you know, but she'd come back and giggle and then skate off. And I'd be following her around everywhere. And it turned out I'd known her since I was 11 years old. So we were destined to be together. No matter what, the universe just kept intersecting us at all these different points until finally that was it. We gave in and got married.
1: I love that. That's beautiful. I am curious about the trauma though. Like, I feel like, can you ever really put that to rest?
2: I don't think so. I look at it as a thorn in my side in the sense that it's something I know I need to battle through and, I, and I'm always constantly working at it anyway. And a lot of things I have to work on. But I also know that by having it, it's part of the motivation that helps me to understand other people and helps me to want to help other people. And sometimes that's at my detriment. And sometimes I go way over and above for people where I should probably put boundaries in and things like that. But part of me doesn't care because I wish someone was there for me like that when I was in those states and when I was, you know, facing difficulties. So it's something I think I'll always have to carry with me. But also, I think that's part of what's defined who I am now. And I quite like who I am. And I've had to go through crap. And I've had to go through tough times and trauma. But at the end of the day, I'm actually a decent person. And I can say that with my hand on my heart. And I care genuinely about people. And I'm kind of proud of that. And I wouldn't necessarily have that if I grew up in a different environment where I didn't have to go. I may have, obviously, but I, I may not have. I may not be the person I am now if I hadn't gone through all of these tough times.
1: Yeah, also you kind of mentioned and alluded to it with your daughter. Like, you know, she's that goody two-shoe and doesn't get in trouble. Like, yep. do you feel like since you have a much different life than your kids that they need to experience some hardship?
2: And to be clear, no parent ever wishes hardship on their children, obviously, but there is a part of me that thinks, yeah. And, and we actually had this conversation with my daughter. The timing of this was terrible, but she, one of the things she noticed was at high school, you know, in college, a lot of her friends were going through a really difficult time. Um, she was one of the only one of her friends that had both parents together. Everyone else was broken homes and going through, you know, parents going through divorce and usually messy and really ugly and and bad-mouthing each other and all these kind of things. And a lot of these girls found it really difficult to deal with this. So Ariana, our daughter, became kind of the sounding board for that. A lot of them would come to her because she was an incredible listener and she was so kind and, and caring. And she said to me one day, we're going for a walk. And she said, it's really difficult. She goes, I'm trying to be there for them. But at the same time, I come from a really good home. I've never had to face any hardship. So I don't know how to empathize with them from that aspect. I just know that that would be hard and I just want to be there for them. And I thought that was a really interesting approach. And and that kind of made me think, maybe you don't need to go through hardship to empathize, because somehow she'd pick this up anyway. But then unfortunately, that was, I think, the year before she had some traumatic health stuff happen. And our daughter went through a really severe uh, reaction to a virus that she had, which caused her basically months in hospital. And Basically, years of pain and dealing with consistent pain and things like that. And it really took its toll on her physically, emotionally, mentally, and us as well. Uh, it was a really difficult time. But I was thinking, that's not what I wished on my kids at all. No, I, that's, and that's taught her. I mean, she is one of the most resilient, one of the toughest women you will ever meet. Like, I dare anyone to cross her. She will, she, <laughs> she will gut you. <laughs> she is so damn strong, but it's because she's had to battle through so much. And she's also insanely empathetic, obviously, because she's gone through those things. So yeah, I don't wish it on the kids, but part of me thinks like it helps to shape you who you are. And often, you know, that the, the tough times that we go through, they're part of what defines you because you learn what's on the other side of those, you know. And I, I had friends of ours come to us right now where, if anyone comes to me with issues like alcoholism, depression, so all that kind of stuff, I'm like, okay, I've been there. Obviously, I don't know what's in your world, and I'm not going to assume I know what they're feeling but I also know what it's like to be in these positions. So I can empathize with them. I can I can give them some advice at least of what worked for me. But we had some friends come to us and go, it's really difficult, Vince. I say, what? And they go, we, um, we're trying to have a baby and it turns out we need to go through IVF and it's really difficult. And it was taking a huge emotional toll on this couple. I have no idea what that's like. Seriously, if I just think too loudly Leanne's pregnant I'm like okay so I've never been in that position at all so I had to say that to them and say look I don't know what this is like I can't imagine what you're going through but I imagine it would be really difficult
1: what has this led to in your own personal business I mean you said that you didn't even mean to become a coach but (laughs)
2: yes no exactly and that's the thing my whole goal was to when I wanted to leave Cigna was to become a full-time author. I was like, I'm, I'm so unfulfilled in that job, um, despite all the track record, all the wins, all everything I was getting, I was like, you know what? I'm really, really unhappy, I'm really unfulfilled. So I wanted to help people and transform people. And I thought the best way to do that is through a book, right? I'd already published a book, I was going through publishing my second book. So I left there to become a full-time author. But the problem was, you know, a couple of months after I left there, of course, COVID hit the world. And the main people I talked to are entrepreneurs. I love entrepreneurship, I love being an entrepreneur, I love entrepreneurs. There are genuinely a special breed of people. So when you suddenly find a situation where you're talking to these entrepreneurs and they're going, I can't do this, Vince. I have no income coming in. We're all in, all in lockdown. I have no revenue streams. I've got all the same overheads. I don't even know if I'm going to be around in two months' time. Then that side of me, the, the rescuer that, you know, the person that I wanted in my life when I was younger, that came out. And I, I remember looking at Leanne and she turned to me and goes, You, you can't let this go, can you? I mean, no. Nah. She goes, you're going to have to step in, aren't you? I went, yeah. And she goes, go for it. So I just asked them all if I could come alongside them, if I could at least try to help them to turn the business around and try something different. Fortunately, all of them said yes. But even better than that, we had no casualties at all. Turned them all to profitable, even during lockdown. I just got them to think different about their business and look for new opportunities. And it was really exciting. So that made me feel quite fulfilled. But it also made me realize that's how I can help people. And you talk about how did it influence me and my personal business. It influences me in the sense that I want to be that person like I had in my life when I was 11. So I had a teacher when I was 11 that inspired me. I remember I shared this a few times on podcasts, but I was a cheeky kid. You know, at age 11, he said, Right, we're doing these projects. We had to do these like, you know, little projects. Mine was on sharks. And he said, Right, as part of this, you're going to do a presentation. So you need to practice for this. And I said, Why do we need to practice? And he goes, Because it'll prepare you to do presentations in life. And I'm like, when are we going to get the opportunity of presentation in life? Duh. Like, you know, thinking we're not business people. We're all poor. And he goes, well, how about now, Vince? And he called me up in front of the class. and He goes, okay, class, Vince is going to speak for five minutes on a topic. What topic is that? And of course, being the ever inventive 11-year-olds, they all said an egg. So I had to speak for five minutes about an egg. And I am now freaking out. And he said, you got 20 seconds to come up with something. And I thought, wow, he definitely called my bluff. But I'm stubborn and I'm not going to give up. So, and he goes, Right, your time starts now. And the only thing that came in my mind was which came first, the chicken or the egg. So I said that out loud. And then my brain went into this other mode and I just started telling stories and I started right, relating it back to that and talking about all this stuff. And I watched, and every time I did something funny, they'd all laugh. Every time I did something that was really powerful, they go, <gasps> and I'm like, What is happening? And we got to like 20 seconds left. And he goes, You got 20 seconds left. And I said, da, da, da. So obviously, the chicken came first and everyone just roared and they were clapping and it was this rush of adrenaline. I'm like, what just happened there? But more than that, I turned to this teacher and he was an incredible teacher. He's one of the greatest teachers I've ever, ever had in my life. And I turned to him and he just looked at me. And he goes, that was amazing. I said, oh, thank you. And he goes, no, no, Vince, you have a gift. You have something very special. Did you realize you can, you can do something really special with your life? And that is the first time anybody or it felt like anybody had ever believed in me and I'm age 11 standing there going what is this weird feeling on the inside it's hope it's it's actually hope that I could do something rather than just be this statistic rather than just be this you know scared little beaten kid rather than be this kid that has no money or whatever I could do something with my life so that feeling that I got then is what I crave for other people that feeling of hope and of a future is what I want for every client that I work with. I I love the thing, I'm doing a lot of work, Rena, of helping people become authors. And I've set a goal for myself this year, which scared the crap out of me. I said, I'm gonna help a hundred entrepreneurs to become authors this year, with a stretch goal of an additional hundred, so 200 authors. And I'm like, ah, how the hell am I gonna do that? Um, But I set the goal and then I work it out afterwards. But the reason I did that is because I reflected on 2021, wait, what year are we? Yeah, 2021, reflected on last year. And I thought, what lit me up? What were the things that excited me through the year? And seeing that sense of accomplishment mm-hmm. on people's face when they're holding their book in their hands, seeing that sense of, I thought I couldn't do this, but I did it. I didn't think I'd ever make a writer, but here I am with a best-selling novel or a best-selling bestselling nonfiction book, usually mm-hmm. in my case, that for me, I'm like, that's that feeling I had when I was 11, that feeling of, wow, I can do this. So I want that for every single, every single person I deal with.
1: Okay. That's interesting. Also, I mean I literally could talk to you forever because you've just done so many cool things from authoring three books, is it three books, creating uh, three
2: books, there's a fourth and a fifth book coming up very, very shortly. A fourth
1: and a fifth coming yeah. up, you're a community builder, you're an incredible marketer, an incredible human. I am really curious like how you have built these processes. Like even what you're talking about now is so hard for most entrepreneurs to do.
2: Yeah. I have two little secrets. One of them is I'm ADHD. It's not really that much of a secret, ADHD. And the other is I have a genetic disorder, which means I only sleep four hours a night. So because of that, I have so much more time in my day, which is a good thing and a bad thing because you also can go a bit crazy if you've got all this time on your hands. So I need to fill my time. And the genetic disorder is really handy for the fact that most of my clients are in the US and Canada and I'm in New Zealand. So time zone wise, ta-da, magic. But the other side of it is it means that I get more time in my day to structure myself. And this is really important when you have ADHD. So what I do is I try and multitask, I've got, I've got the, the treadmill and we've got a home gym. We've got the treadmill in the gym and at that point that's my learning time. So while I'm doing something that's repetitive, which is you know the running or the walking, I you know we have a big screen TV in there and I put on there things that I'm trying to learn. So I put on master classes, I put on like deep dives into you know NFTs or into book publishing and all these things and I just research the hell out of them. And I just use my ADHD as a benefit because ADHD is two parts. Everyone forgets about this. There's the attention deficit side where, you know, shiny objects, squirrel, you've always got to be operating in these new kind of shiny things and these new creative energy things. That's a superpower, not a weakness because it means you get to try all sorts of things. But there's also the hyper-focus aspect of that, which is quite, that's probably the more dangerous part of ADHD in my opinion, because that's the part where you can sit there and go down a rabbit hole and then, you know, 12 hours later, you realize, why is, why am I feeling so dizzy? Oh, I haven't had any food or any water or a break or anything. I need to, I need to get away from this. So I use those as, as a power rather than a weakness. And I just get to research so many cool things and then bring that to all my clients. And, and honestly, sharing that with people is the best part about it. Oh, it's so cool.
1: That is amazing. Oh my gosh. Well, is there anything that you would like to ask my dad?
2: <laughs> as a dad, what was the most important thing for his kids to embody and growing up? So what was the most important trait that he really wanted to see with them? Because obviously, you know, you you can't control your kids and you shouldn't control your kids, obviously. Your kids are unique human beings and unique individuals and they need to find their own way and create their own path. But what was the trait that is most important that he really wanted to see in, in, in any of his kids?
1: That's a great question. And I'm glad you shared what you and your wife had in mind for yours. I think that it's so important to think about. It's funny because when you're young and just looking for somebody that you're attracted to, you don't think about these bigger picture things, but you should.
2: Yes, you definitely should. Yeah. The thing is when you're a parent, you genuinely have no idea what the hell you're doing. Like, let's just face it. Nobody does. Anyone who tells you they're an expert parent is a liar or misguided. The fact is you're making this up as you go along. And it's not that, oh, I've had one kid. Now, when I have the second kid, it's so much easier. No, it's different. They're a different human being. They have different personality, different likes, dislikes, different ways of reacting. It's insane. As a result, you have to be really clear on what your non-negotiables are. You have to be really clear. Like for me, never physically disciplining my kids. I grew up in an abusive household, so did Leanne. It was important for me that my kids understood why they were disciplined whenever they didn't. We very rarely had to discipline. Them. Like I said, they were really good at 2 shoes but I remember one time with, I was actually with our son. He was just, he was super frustrated and he was like, and he threw something across the room, I think it was. And I had to pull him aside and I said, okay, so here's the thing. I said, as a parent, it's really important to me that I look out for you, right? And he goes, yeah. And I said, and seeing that kind of behavior, if I don't like actually, if I don't do something about that kind of behavior, then I'm enabling that, which means I'm actually being a bad parent. I'm actually, I'm actually doing something that's going to be detrimental to you in the future. So that puts me in a position that I don't want to be in, which is I have to discipline you. And he goes, yeah. And that like explaining it to them, helping them to understand this is not just me reacting out of anger. It's not me acting out of frustration. It's me going, you know what? This is the right thing to do. I said, so what am I going to do about this? What am I going to do to discipline you? And he's like, you can send me to my room for you know, hours. And I like okay, let's do that. So I sent him to room for an hour and he came out. And from that day, I noticed a trend with him where he would come, if he got frustrated, like something frustrated, and you see him go, <laughs> and his face would like go, you know, Hulk-like. It was like, he's going to Hulk out. But he would stop and he goes, hang on. And he'd run to his room and he'd take deep breaths and he'd come back and he goes, okay, I'm all right now. Because, you know, we taught him, it's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to be angry. But how you react in that situation, that's the thing that's going to determine whether you get disciplined or whether you, you know, succeed.
1: I am so impressed by that. I love the way that you explained it. But please tell me how you have broken generational curses of parenting
2: by probably overcompensating most times. If I'm honest, there's part of me like there's part of me that thought there was probably a couple of times where you know a little smack on the bottom might have been okay. I know people have very strong views on that, and I never did because I, I don't want to discipline my kids in that way. But by the same token, I was petrified of my kids feeling that sense of powerlessness that I had. So in some cases, I probably did enable behavior that I probably shouldn't have and things like that as well. So it sounds very cool, but also there's downsides to that as well. But breaking that generational curse is just knowing what I felt like and never wanting that for any other person.
1: Sometimes though, what you don't want, you make happen.
2: So yeah, I no, you really kudos
1: good. to you for being yeah. able to do that.
2: Yeah. Part of that is having an amazing wife. Honestly, Leanne is, she's far stronger than I'll ever be. Like she is just an incredible human being, but she's also incredibly smart like you know honestly when it comes to psychology I mean she's an addictions counselor now works with the people with addictions but prior to that she also studied to be a a early childcare teacher so she understands the brain understands what people are going through and the developmental phases and the schemas and all the stuff she taught me all of this kind of stuff taught me also early on um, when the kids were little taught me about the different phases like for example there's a point in the life where the daughter will cling to the dad and then the time where they'll cling to the mom and the son it's kind of almost the opposite of that but There's this this dynamic that has to happen. And and one of the things she taught me very early on is most daughters get their sense of self-worth from their father, but also from the relationship of their parents. So we learned very early on that to be good parents, we just have to love each other. And we have to let our kids know that. So, like we, I mean, me and Leanne never fight anyway, certainly never know yelling matches or anything like that. I don't think that's ever happened with us. We get frustrated and annoyed with each other. Don't get me wrong, that happens a lot. (laughs) No. So, but what we would do is if we ever had a conflict, we would have, we would resolve it in front of the kids. Or if we had a conflict, if if it was something that was awkward, we'd resolve it, but then show the resolve in front of the kids so that they learned that conflict isn't bad conflict is something you have to process and you have to go through. And we wanted to demonstrate that to them as well. So there's a lot of stuff that I learned from Leanne. Honestly, the moment we found out she was pregnant, that was a very big surprise for us. My daughter knows that, so that's okay. Um, It was down to, because we had planned to have seven kids. Turns out that changed immediately when Leanne found out how painful having one kid is. Um, So she's like, I'm not doing that six more times, forget about it. But one of the things I realized at the moment we found out she was pregnant, we're like, wait, that's not the flu. Oh my goodness, we're going to be parents. I freaked. I'm like I don't have a father figure I can look up to. I don't have anything like that in my life. I'm freaking out. I don't know how to be a dad. Like my my dad was one of the worst examples of that. I cannot repeat that. So that was the point where you know, I'm freaking out, but being surrounding yourself with really good people helped. I know we were kind of freaking out. We went to a good friend of ours, Bill Wood. He's this incredible musician. And we went to his place and he's like, "So you guys freaking out right now?" I said, "Yeah, man." really freaking out. I don't know how to be a dad. He goes, yeah, you do. what? And he goes, you care about people. You're a dad. And he said, let me tell you something. Everyone's going to tell you that your life's going to go in this totally different direction. And he goes, I'm telling you now, that's rubbish. He said, what happens is you're still going in the same direction. You're just going there with somebody else beside you. And it's someone you're going to love immensely. And I was like, that is such a beautiful way to put it. It took a lot of the fear away. Uh, And then I realized that's a good example of a dad. I need to be surrounded by people like this.
1: I love that. (laughs) Please let people know how they can connect with you, become part of your community, buy your books, all the things.
2: Super easy. I was going to say super hard, just a joke. No, it's super easy. All you need to do is go to chasingtheinsights.com. That's my website. You'll see my podcast there. You'll see an amazing episode with Rena coming up. Oh my goodness. (laughs) You're also going to see access to my books and you'll see a link on there to my Facebook group. I do a lot of free masterclasses in there, a lot of teaching about becoming an author, Web 3.0, NFTs, all that kind of stuff. So come and join us in there. But also all of my social links are there. So unless you're a spammer, if you're a spammer, please don't contact me. (laughs) But for the rest of you, reach out and connect with me everywhere. I love meeting new people uh, and also love helping people as well. You'll see a link on my site to a free strategy call. If you're confused about anything, you're like, hey, I want to become an author. I don't know where to start. Or you're thinking, I want to launch a podcast. I don't know where to start, or I don't like, I don't know how to differentiate myself in market. In market, any marketing or entrepreneurial challenges you've got, book that time with me. I want to give you the clarity that you need.
1: Now let's switch it over to Grandpa.
0: This interview with Vince is demonstrating how there's Grandpa Abe's line again. How's your better half? And Lynn has really helped her husband or future husband, because you know they had ups and downs even when they got together, it helped him overcome everything. That could possibly be some of the great obstacles that he had to face. Facing things with a teammate, again, that theory that we're not here to do it alone. We're here to enjoy our stay on this earth, but to not only have a partner, but also to be able to help other people. By doing that, You are enlightening the world as well as improving your own destiny. He makes the point of that his strength is what? Helping develop his own children and everyone that he meets that has entrepreneurship tendencies, that wants to go out and make something and to be able to focus in on writing it down. He'd like everyone to be able to tell their story. That's what a podcast can be. That's what a book can be. And that's what relationship building is all about. He also wanted to know what ingredient did I really want my children to get from me and what I wanted to instill in them where they could be hopefully successful and be able to stand and carry on on their own. Hopefully, every father wants their children to be able to carry on someday without him, without his mother, without the mother, and without the father, and that you know that you have given them something that they can carry on and where you feel confident that they will be okay and succeed. That ingredient is to have good self-worth, that you can overcome obstacles and barriers and be able to pivot and be able to understand there is no roadblock all in your head, that there is a way around the roadblocks. You might have to go over it. You might have to go under it. You might have to go to one side or another. Remember that karaoke song that I sang with Jessica, ain't no mountain high enough, right? Ain't no mountain low enough, right? So isn't that really what life's about? Is that it isn't an easy road or pathway of, for any of us, and yet everyone has an opportunity to make something out of themselves and understand the choices that we make. Certain roads can can be used as a learning experience, and that it's never too late to right the ship. That you can have a positive destiny, but encouragement and setting a good example is important your whole life, and especially. And showing that leadership to not only the people around you, but to try to instill that in your family so that they can show that that continuum was worth the investment.
1: Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn.